Hello and welcome to this Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Anthony English on the topic, Angels. This August 2009 recording comes from one of Lumen Verum's Friday Evening Apologetics Lectures at St. Michael the Archangel Parish in Belfield. Anthony English is a regular speaker at Lumen Verum. Well, we're going to speak probably more about angels than demons, but we might speak a little bit about the demons. And um, of course, the term angel itself, as we as we know, when we when we pray the creed, we on the current translation is I believe in the Creator of all things, seen and unseen, uh, which is a very rough translation of the Latin uh, visibilium et invisibilium things that are visible and invisible. And the invisible things are, of course, spirits. And uh, uh, there's the spiritual world. And the spiritual world is uh, a reality, first of all, and a really more real than physical things, because more indestructible. And so uh, we're going to be focusing on the created spiritual world tonight, so the created spirits. And we believe, uh, and we profess in the creed, that uh, the God created the, the angels, created the, the invisible realm. Now, we can't see them, but we see evidence, evidence of, the, of the angels. I'm basing this uh, broadly on a, on a talk that was given by Pope John Paul II in around 1984, I think it was. He went through in the weekly audiences where he would uh, uh, he, he went through the creed, uh, all of the articles of the of the creed, and uh, I think he had done a year and a half on I believe in God. <laughs> so. So it's very, very comprehensive. So, uh, uh, so fasten your seatbelts. So we're going to uh, be looking at uh, his address, especially on the angels, where he, he really summarises the, the teaching uh, about about the angels. The term angel itself means messenger, and so that refers primarily to, to their role in relation to men. And uh, we'll see examples of the angels being messengers of God's revelation. But broadly speaking, of course, an angel is a, is a pure, created spirit. So created as opposed to God, who is uncreated, he's the creator. And uh, pure spirit uh, doesn't refer to the virtue of purity in the angels. Uh, it, pure means unmixed. So an angel, even a devil, is pure. Is a pure spirit, and so that's not the virtue of purity, obviously, is it? And so the uh, the angels are pure spirits, whereas we're mixed spirits. We're we're spiritual beings. Human beings are spiritual, but uh, our spirits are also have the functions of souls. They are souls that give life to our bodies, and so and so. Uh, 
we have a soul which is spiritual. Um, and what, what is the spirit? The spiritual thing is what can exist and act without the body. That's what the spirit is. It can be and can do even without a body. Well, we can see that in an animal or a plant, it can't can't exist and act without a body. You can't think of an animal that doesn't doesn't have a body. We think of it, but you know, we could imagine it, but uh, uh, it's really something something missing. The dog, there's no dog there. And uh, but uh, in man, we are spiritual beings. We are, as Christ said, we're like the angels when they die. Uh, when, when, when we die, we are like the angels in heaven. We can't, uh, uh, we can't be destroyed. So the faith of the church recognises not only the existence of angels, but certain distinctive characteristics of their nature. And it's a very interesting thing if we consider what the nature of a thing is, uh, uh, what something is. With, with, the, uh, with the human being, because we've got the, the, our form, our, our, our form which is received in matter, like you might think of water in you know, a series of different buckets. And so our spiritual soul is received, so to speak, in, in matter. Not that God created our soul and then made the body and you know, put it in. It was formed together, wasn't it? But, the, but um, uh, because there are so many different matters, like so many different buckets, there are so many different people, so many different members of the species. Well, with an angel, because there is no material element with an angel, each angel is its own species. So an angel, one angel differs from another the way that a human being differs from a dog. Well, not in that way, but <laughs> that sort of way. So. Your guardian angel is a species unto himself. Pretty awesome, eh? Now, the faith of the church... Anthony, could I just ask a quick question? May I ask your source on that, please? Okay, well, that's based on... I don't on, doubt you, but I... Yeah, no, okay, well, that's based on... Uh, uh, well, St. Saint, Saint Thomas uh, Aquinas uh, is... Yeah, where he speaks about the, the forms received in, in matter, where he's, it's actually in his section on the angels. In right. Summa Theologica. Mm-hmm. The faith of the church recognises not only the existence of the angels but certain distinctive characteristics of their nature. So their purely spiritual being uh, implies, first of all, their non-materiality. So you can't kill an angel. Angels don't get sick. They don't have bodies. And so, uh, and their immortality, of course. Angels don't die, and uh, one of my one of my children, I think it's, he might have been the five-year-old, had a uh, drew a picture of an angel and a grandfather angel and a baby angel and so on. Angels don't have don't have children or parents. The angels have no body, although we do see that they do reveal themselves in a bodily form, because an angel has got great power has got power over all matter. An angel has got great power over over the material world. And so an angel can form from uh, or from a body or from dust or something can 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 appear and appear to be a human being like Saint Raphael did. 
with, uh, uh, with the young uh, Tobit, Tobias, the book of Tobit. So the angels, so, so they can appear under visible forms, the angels. Um, but of course they're not subject to the laws of corruptibility, uh, common to the material world. Angels are not worried about global warming, climate change or any of that stuff. And uh, referring to the condition of the angels themselves, Jesus himself said, in the future life, those who, are risen, who have risen from the dead cannot die anymore. Why? Because they are like the angels. So there's uh, scripture, scriptural evidence from our, our Lord himself that the angels themselves are immortal, cannot die. Do you know the reference to that? Yeah, that's uh, Luke chapter 20, verse 36. Now, as creatures of a spiritual nature, the angels are endowed with intellect and free will. Well, those of you who have been coming here for, for a, a while would have heard those terms before. The intellect is our power of understanding, not just the imagination. It's certainly much greater than that, our, our ability to grasp concepts. And an angel has got an immense ability, a great ability, because, see, when we think of things, well, we've got lots and lots of obstacles in the way. We've got our imagination, we've got our bodily senses, I remember I was explaining to to my son was saying he was uh, six years old at the time and he was saying that uh, he was asking how God made blue bottles and uh, he said that well he said if God made the bottle part first then that would be a problem because the bottle could break and you know God would cut his hands but then if he made the sting part first then that would be a problem too, because he, he could get stung. So how did he do it? And uh, and and so I said, uh, Tom, does, does does God have a have a body? And he said, and he smiled and he said, oh, he said no. He said, oh, I thought that meant this bit. Thought that God didn't have. The, he still had his hands. He just didn't have the body. <laughs> So children think very materially. God doesn't have a, a body. Well, he doesn't have a body, he doesn't have hands. But we have to speak in those terms. And so, uh, so somehow God managed to, uh, to manage to make blue bottles without any harm to himself. And so, uh, so the angels have got intellect. Well, now we've got many obstacles to our intellect and free will. Okay, we think too materially, and especially little children do that. And uh, especially people who are mired in in very worldly things, in uh, especially in physical pleasures and so on, it's very very hard for them to think straight about anything. And um, and uh, and an angel, on the other hand, can think very very straight. An angel, can, if he understands the premises, you know the premises leads to a conclusion. An angel, will, if he understands the premises, he can see all of the conclusions just like that, infallibly. Angels are perfectly logical. We're not perfectly logical, but angels are. And so angels are... Uh, and so if an angel chooses his end, is he going to love God? In that one act, 
his intellect, his will follows his intellect, he goes straight for it, straight to heaven. That's it. And no repentance, no uh, willy, no silly shallowing, no worry, oh, maybe I'll, you know, the way we do. I mean, that's, fortunately, it's lucky for us because we can repent because we can change our dispositions. On the one hand, people people say, oh, you know, I don't, don't believe in God, and I've got, you know, it's all man-made, all of religion is all, all man-made and so on. They give all sorts of silly, silly arguments, and then, uh, and then they change their minds later on. That does happen. Conversion, but uh, an angel can't convert. So, more dangerous, more dangerous to be an angel uh, than to be because once you choose, you choose forever. One choice, you'll follow it right through to its end. It's a real question then how. An angel can choose something bad, how he can reject the ultimate good. And there's a certain mystery there, but um, but the clue to it is that when an angel turns away from his ultimate end, there's one element that's not logical, which is is grace, uh, which is uh, uh, faith. See, that's beyond the angel. An angel still needs to have faith before he enters heaven, right? And so he uh, he still needs to believe. He can't just say, well, I'm perfectly logical, I don't need God. Uh, he's, he's, he can be perfectly logical, but then uh, God still gave the angels a test. If he had to have faith, though, it suggests some period of time too, doesn't it? It does to us uh, to suggest some period of time, but the period of time for an angel would be a moment, an, an act. You see, with a, a spirit, you measure things by... Uh, well, time is the measure of movement of bodies. and uh, But with spiritual things, how does an angel grow old? Mm. Well, just by a series of acts, he doesn't actually grow old. But, um, but if an angel... You, you would you would measure if you want to compare baby angels and grown-up angels in the way that maybe a, a little child might. A grown-up angel is one who's done more, yeah. And so it's not so much in measure of time, uh, of years or anything like that. Uh, but we have to represent angels in material ways. This angel here, I've uh, just. I don't know if you've ever seen a red-headed angel before. I've got another one here, and we've got another one in our uh, uh, nativity set at home, but really bright, bright red. Nothing, nothing against it. No, there's nothing more to say that angels can't have red hair. Just they don't have hair. They don't have bodies at all. But we have to represent angels in physical ways. Why is that? Because nobody can see a spirit. Well, we can't. Uh, we can't see spirits. With our body, so we have to represent them. So we we show we show them with wings, for example. Okay, but don't don't trust that that fellow if you go into the Vatican Vatican Square and that locally comes across and sort of whispers to you, I've got a you, know, you want to buy a relic? I've got a relic here. It's a feather from the wing of Saint Michael the Archangel. So don't just don't trust him. But um, but the, the angels, you have to, they represent, we have to represent them somehow. So we show them with wings, maybe to show their swiftness, 
their ability to 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 go great distances instantaneously, really, uh, or to show their willingness, their swiftness in the service of God. That's why we uh, show angels with wings, and also to show that they're somehow above the human order. They've got a very great intellects and great wills. And so, uh, like human beings, we've got intellect and will, but in a degree superior to man, even if this is uh, still finite, because um, they're creatures, of course. So the angels are therefore personal beings. They're not just some power. Well, they are powerful, but, uh, but they are personal. So every angel is a person. An angelic person. Now, who? And uh, also they're made in the image and likeness of God because uh, being personal, they are like to God in the thing that makes God be God. It makes God transcend. God is pure intellect, pure will. And even that term, like unto God, uh, that's um, the suffix L. Do you know uh, in the Gospel of Eli, Eli, Lama Sarakthani, which Gospel is that? Uh, that's in the Synoptics. Matthew and Mark. Okay. And, they, and then the soldiers, or they said, wait, wait, he's calling on Eli, he's calling on Elijah, but Eli was the Hebrew word for God. Yeah? So El. Now, uh, El is the Hebrew name for God, and so we have Mikael, which means Michael, which is who is like unto God. Or we have Gabriel, Man of God. Obviously not a human, but a man of God. And Raphael is God heals. And so... Uh, mm -hmm. is, that, is that Hebrew name? Well, that's the English translation of Hebrew names, yeah. Yeah. And so we have those three names. Uh, those are the only angels whose names we know that are revealed in Scripture that Saint Michael is in the book of Revelation. He cast, cast uh, Satan down. Uh, and Gabriel, is, where is Gabriel mentioned? Annunciation. And where else? Zachary. That's right, to, to Zachary. Okay, everybody, nobody, I shouldn't say nobody remembers it, my mother remembers it. <laughs> but uh, he, that uh, the angel, the archangel Gabriel, appeared to Zachary, to um, Zechariah, and uh, so so that's uh, Gabriel, and then Raphael. We've mentioned him before, so you don't get any points for saying that he's in the Book of Tobit. So um, so we also have these collective titles of the nine choirs of angels, and so we have the seraphim, the cherubim. Thrones, powers, dominations, also called dominions, principalities. I said powers, I think there's princes as well, and angels and archangels. And I think that was nine. If not, you can just listen. Buy the CD and listen again. Well, bearing in mind that, um, uh, well, in the sacred text, this is there's more uh, analogy, we can group these angels together into different different classes, different societies. And so 
they are divided into orders and grades depending on the measure of their perfection and the tasks that are entrusted to them. And so, and so, uh, we have uh, uh, what are the angels in the book of Revelation that are just praising God, holy, 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 without without end, seraphim praising God all the time. Now you know that in the creed we say for us men and for our salvation. Do you know why we say that? For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. Why do we say for us men and for our salvation? And not just for us and for our salvation. There's a reason for every word in the creed and there's a reason us men is in there. It's deliberately to show that God became man to save men. It's as if to say for us men and not for those angels and for our salvation. God so loved the world that uh, he, he gave himself, gave his only son. There was a heresy. That's right. There was a heresy which said that the angels, uh, the angels too, were that Christ died for the angels. And so to counteract that heresy, the church introduced the expression for us men and for our salvation to renounce most of those... Uh, those uh, most of the phrases in the creed were specifically to counteract some heresy or other. And so, and so if somebody said, well, let's change it because we want to be you know, non-sexist, politically correct, and we say, well, we'll make it for us and for our salvation, you might as well just get rid of the whole expression altogether. And then if you want to change it to, oh, for us men and women, or better, better still, for us women and men, and for our salvation, then I say, well, what about the children? All right, for us men and women and children, and for our salvation, well, what about the teenagers? Yeah? Okay? And then, yeah, so it can really get ridiculous. And so, and so if you... Um, uh, yeah, so that's why we say for us men. Men being the term that men in English have to share, men has to share with women so that man doesn't get a term for it for himself just for the boys that's one meaning of man but the other meaning of man is applies to the whole human race right man nurtures the conviction that it's he and not the angels who are at the center of divine revelation you see this is what uh, learning about the angels tells us it tells us how much uh, God loved us, that God should become one of us, that God should become man. And it is a, it is a heresy to say that God became a human person. Uh, he didn't. Who is Christ? He's God. He's the second person of the Blessed Trinity. Divine person, not a human person at all. So you, you, we need to be careful with our language. We don't say that God became a human person. You can say, if you understand it correctly, that God became a human being, but it, the church avoids that language. And, uh, and, and it speaks to the language that God became man. And so, uh, and so this shows that, that God bypassed the angels, if you like, 
to become a man. In fact, some theologians speculated that uh, that the angels were revealed. It was shown to the angels beforehand. What what caused the fall of Satan was that it was shown to them that God was going to create these material creatures that were spiritual as well, human beings, and there was going to be a fall, and that God himself would become one of them, unite himself to the material creation, elevate the whole of the physical world by uh, uniting himself to, and even to, to the point of becoming, uh, of dying, and uh, the death on the cross. And the angels, and that the angels were so scandalized that Satan and his cohorts were so scandalized by this that God should lower himself so much that that was the point they said, no, that will never happen. God cannot do this. We reject that. He'd better not do this sort of thing. And that's pure speculation by certain theologians. And Thomas says, well, we don't know. So you can speculate on it, but that's, um, that's an, a, a, an opinion. Do you know what is No, no, I don't know when that was, but um, because the, the fall of angels would have been the fall of pride, they would have loved themselves more than God. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's that's what pride is. Um, I mean, the say the sins of the flesh are, are the most shameful sins, but they're not the worst ones in themselves. They're not the worst ones. Uh, it's the sins of the spirit, because the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Or the, if you're using your spirit, just sinning against the spirit. They're two spiritual sins. It's pride and and envy. And uh, if you so those those sins, and we see that with uh, with Lucifer himself, that he was a shining light. That's what the term Lucifer means. And uh, and then and then fell. So the corruption of the best is the worst, and you see that. You see that in societies as well. When a society falls apart or a family that falls apart, it's very, very strong. And when it goes bad, it goes worse than some family that was never that strong in the first place. Or a society that was that was just sort of, you know, bumbling along. Yeah, corruption of the best is the worst. And uh, or if a priest uh, rejects, his priest rejects his faith, well, Archbishop Fulton Sheen goes so far as to say that he doesn't he doesn't just become a, a layman, he becomes he still remains a priest, but he becomes a priest of Satan. Mm-hmm. If he rejects his faith, he's still got his priesthood sort of working against uh, you know, working against that's if he loses his his faith. I don't mean if he just ceases to be an active priest. Um, now uh, and so it's precisely the religious encounter with the world, the purely spiritual, that becomes a revelation of our bodies as spirit as well. That our bodies, uh, we also touch on the spiritual realm, which is a, a wonderful thing. And we, we also learn that the angels in heaven always see the face of my Father who is in heaven, Matthew chapter 18. And so our Lord... Our Lord warns uh, about the scandal to little children, especially. Scandal is not usually what we think of something shocking. Scandal is putting an obstacle, a stumbling block in someone's path, leading him to sin. So, um, if you 
for example, uh, you know, a friend, a friend of yours is really struggling with alcoholism, or constantly getting drunk, and so on. You invite him over for dinner. Well, you don't come out and bring out all of your best, your best wines and your and and uh, your spirits and so on. Uh, that's that's just prudent that you uh, that that you don't you don't uh, do that if you if you have that knowledge. Um, and uh, and now, but if you imagine if you were to invite him around specifically for a for a, for a, a drinking session, even if you're not doing drinking yourself, but you're specifically trying to lead him into sin, and uh, some people do that uh, in different ways, then then that's the sin of scandal, and through your through your actions, through your words, through your example, that you uh, should be a, a deliberate occasion for someone else's sin, actually leading the person into sin. I mean, people can sin anyway. People sinned uh, at seeing Christ when Christ claimed, claimed that he was God. They sinned, they blasphemed, and they they killed him. But Christ didn't do anything wrong by by proclaiming his uh, divinity. Anyway, Saint, uh, our Lord said, warns us that. If we lead one of the little ones, one of the innocent ones, one of the pure ones, uh, then it's better to have a millstone. Whoever does that, it's better to have a millstone hanging around his neck, throw, throw him into the, the middle of the, of the river, because uh, he says, because they're angels, the children's angels see the face of my Father in heaven. So that means the angels have the beatific vision. They're seeing God face to face. Is that the only reference to a guardian angel that no. each person has a guardian angel in the scripture? Yes, yeah, no, that's that's not the only reference, no. Uh, but that's obviously a, a prime reference. But there are there are others where uh, uh, in Psalm ninety one, where uh, we're told he will give his angels charge of you to keep you in all your ways, and then of course Satan in tempting. Tempting our Lord, actually used that scripture. Tried to, as Shakespeare says, even the devil can quote scripture. And and uh, and because the psalm goes on, on their hands the angels will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And so that was the quote that um, uh, that uh, Satan himself used to 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 tempt our Lord. To see the face of the Father always in this way is the highest manifestation of the adoration of God. Seeing God face to face. And that's what we're all aiming for. Is to see God, to behold Him with, uh, to, with the vision of God. To see even as we are seen. To be known, to know God even as we are known. Not in a dark glass as uh, we are in this life. In a faded mirror, but to see God face to face. And obviously that's not seeing him with his physical eyes, because God's a, with our physical eyes, because God is a spirit. But it's seeing him with our mind. Because in this life, for every time, it's almost the first question, as soon as, very shortly after children learn to speak, they start asking, why? Why? Daddy, why do you shave? I, I don't know. There's a, there's a, and then, and then uh, a lot of people give how answers to why questions, but um, 
But children want to know why they have this thirst. We want to know, we see the effect, we want to know the cause. What made you do that? Why did you go and say that, uh, say that, that thing? How come you, uh, what, what does he think he's up to? We're constantly asking and we're constantly appealing to reason all the time, saying it's not right, it's not reasonable, it's not rational. And so uh, we have that thirst for truth, that thirst for, nobody wants to be told a lie. We might, we might uh, joke around and have, you know, laugh at people who are made fools of or who are deceived in a joking way, but we don't want to be deceived ourselves. And I just read today of a politician who will remain unnamed, uh, who had denied, 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 denied something that he was going to do, and then he did it today. And um, and they said, well, how come you said all along that you were you, did, you said you were never going to do this? And uh, uh, and he said, well, he said I did that to keep you blokes, the journalists, off my back. Well, the journalists didn't seem to be bothered by that, but I would have asked the question, well. Should we even bother speaking to you? Should we ever trust anything that you say since you're so openly justifying lying? You're so openly uh, admitting that you're, you're willing to say anything true or false just to get rid of, just to get us off your back? Should we ever even bother asking a question? Should we ever trust you again? We only believed you because we thought that you believed, that, that you were trying at least to be truthful. But you were openly lied. Why should we ever believe your name? Anyway, I wasn't a journalist, so I didn't get to ask the question. But the, uh, uh, but yeah, this desire for the truth, to live by the truth, to know the truth, to understand it, and to live by it, and that's our lifelong desire. And we're always asking for more. When we get to heaven, we see the ultimate truth. In all of its reality, according to our capacity, we tune into God's idea of Himself. Then we'll be enough. We won't be saying, "Oh, but, but I want to, I want some more." And then we'll be enough. The angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. That's seeing God face to face. And you could say that this constitutes the heavenly liturgy carried out in the name of the entire universe. This continual adoration of God. The earthly liturgy of the church is incessantly joined with it, especially in its culminating moments of the liturgy. And so we see that especially in the book of Revelation, which is, uh, I'd say, the most liturgical book of the Bible. It's a pattern of the liturgy itself. I gave a beginning of the talk, didn't I, on the book of Revelation here? I think I gave chapters 1, 2 and 3. And uh, anyway, you see in the book of Revelation, that's a hint, Alec, by the way, because I've only given, there's more than three chapters. <laughs> and uh, 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 there's, there's um, we, we see incense, we see the, the priests wearing the robes, we see, we see the, uh, the angels, the prayers rising like incense to heaven. We see the, the cries of, of the faithful departed crying out for, for, for justice in the end, the martyrs. 
we see the relics of the martyrs beneath the altar and uh, all of these elements that we have in our Catholic liturgy and uh, and yes and so the angels there are when, when, when we join in the liturgy we are partaking in an earthly way of the heavenly heavenly liturgy and and so we learn that the task also in the in the scriptures of the good angels is to protect people and be solicitous for their salvation you all know Stony Creek Road at uh, Bexley mm-hmm. I know a lady I know of a lady who was um, who was walking on Freddie's Road and was just about to step out the lights just just changed and she was just about to step out onto Stony Creek Road, an extremely busy road. And uh, she, just before she, she stepped out onto the road, she heard a man with it. She said she could still hear this resonant voice. He put his, his arm in front of her and he said, I think we'll just wait here. So she just stood back. Just at that moment, a truck went uh, straight through, a big heavy truck it would have killed her instantly. She was just so shocked that this stranger she hadn't even seen had just gone and said that to her and looked around and he was gone. Just didn't exist. She said, I think it was my guardian angel. Sounds like it to me. I mean, maybe it wasn't, but, uh, yeah. It's a very, very unusual thing for some stranger to do. The angels uh, protect people, but not only from physical dangers, it's also from spiritual dangers. And sometimes when we're frustrated, uh, especially our plans, we're running late, or uh, things that might lead to, to great anxiety or, or tension, that, that can often be because uh, our, our guardian angel is directing us somewhere else and directing us away from some particular danger, some and that's why sometimes our prayers are not answered as well. Saint Teresa of Avila say that uh, more more tears are shed over answered prayers than over unanswered prayers. So uh, yeah, so sometimes we're really very very grateful that we have been protected from a particular path, but we didn't necessarily see it at the time. And uh, and then that can be the guardian angel uh, really really helping us, you know, not to end up in that job that we thought was going to be just the right one for us and that we were going to do so much for God in that job and protected us. Or from marrying that person that you come back and say, thank God, thank God my prayers weren't answered, you know. Maybe she's saying the same thing. And uh, and so all of these things, you've got these, um, uh, the angels interceding and helping sometimes in very gentle ways that you won't see necessarily the way that our friend at Stone Creek Road did but um, uh, you have the angels interceding in sometimes very dramatic ways but sometimes it's it's even with the weather angels have got power over matter and um, sometimes wonder why every Every single time the, you know, the Mardi Gras is on, yeah. like, you know, it just doesn't come down with hail, and it, but it doesn't. I don't know why, but we pray for it anyway. 
Anyway, we learned that the task of the good angels is to protect people and be solicitous for their salvation. He will give his angels charge of you to keep you in all your ways. And then speaking of children and warning against giving them scandal, he speaks of, uh, our Lord speaks about their angels. And uh, he also says that um, whoever acknowledges the angels are witnesses. Whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, likewise will acknowledge him before the angels of God. Whoever denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. You see, I heard of somebody uh, somewhere who had um, been away from the church for a little while and, uh, <coughs> and came back and went to confession. This person told publicly afterwards and said that uh, after going to confession, at the time the priest said, there will be angels rejoicing at this very moment that you've come home. There will be angels rejoicing. You wouldn't necessarily think about it, but that was, a, that was really a, a great, uh, great piece of advice. And, uh, and so, would there be more rejoicing in heaven over the conversion of one sinner? Well, who's doing the rejoicing in heaven? Well, it's the angels as well. We have the angels rejoicing at the birth of John the Baptist, at the birth of our Lord. The angels are, uh, are singing the praises of God, angels and shepherds. And so, if the angels take part in the judgment of God, then they're interested in human life. Because uh, whoever denies me will be denied before the angels of God. So the angels are going to be there at the judgment. And... Uh, and so they, that means they take a very real interest and not just interest the way that we might take an interest in watching something on TV, if you take those sort of interests. But, um, but we have that interest in the sense of they participate. They want to, they want to pray and, and guide in different ways, whatever it is that God will want them to do. And this interest and participation seems to be um, shown at the end of history. And the when remember in Matthew 24, Matthew 25, where our Lord says, "I'm putting the sheep and the goats, all the angels there as well as witnesses." Among the books of the New Testament, we see the actions of the angels, especially early on in the church. Um, the angel of the Lord in Acts chapter five liberated the apostles from prison and first of all Peter Acts uh, 12 he guided the activity of Peter regarding the centurion Cornelius uh, Acts 10 and 11 and uh, and also the the activity of the deacon Philip along the road from Jerusalem to Gaza Acts 8 and uh, we understand how the church could come to the conviction that God has entrusted to the angels a ministry in favor of human beings the angels are there to help us. And so you have, sure, you have powerful foes. You have powerful enemies. You have the devil. But even more powerful are the angels, are the good angels. And uh, uh, they're even more powerful. And so the church professes her faith in the guardian angels. Not only a guardian angel for each one of us, but a guardian angel for a family, for cities, for regions for for countries we know it Fatima the angel of Portugal yeah um, spoke to the children Fatima 
And so the church confesses her faith in the guardian angels, venerating them in the liturgy with an appropriate feast, which is coming up, incidentally. We have the feast of St. Michael the Archangel, St. Michael, St. Raphael and St. Gabriel on the 29th of September. And then on the 2nd of October we have the feast, 2nd or 1st? 2nd of October we have the feast of the guardian angels. And on the 1st of October is St. Teresa of the Child Jesus. It's sort of stuck between the two angels, so it's a nice place to be. Now, and then also the prayer, the angel of God prayer. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day or ever this night, be at my side, to light and guard, to rule and guide. So to light, so to enlighten our path, so that we can know what it was, what it is that God wants us to do, to guard us, protect us, uh, to rule, so that uh, we should be following, because the angels have got a perfect conformity to the will of God. So that's why we want to be ruled by good rulers. We don't want the bad ones. We don't want ones who are willing to say, look, I'm happy to tell lies. We want to be well ruled. And uh, to light and guard, to rule, and to guide us. And so, and uh, a lot of people think that guardian angels only, are only for children. Well, sometimes adults need them more. <laughs> Usually they do. So uh, some people recommend that if you're coming into a tense situation, maybe with somebody at work or university or wherever, you're coming up to a situation where you know it's going to be a little bit tense and uncomfortable, is that you, you kind of you send your guardian angel on ahead, you know, to speak to, to his guardian angel, to diffuse the situation, first of all, just to give you the right words so that yeah, if you need to go and apologise for something or... or um, or, or ask for something, whatever it might be, then, then you ask your, um, ask your guardian angel to speak to your boss about getting that pay rise before you go and speak to your boss. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then we've mentioned especially the, uh, the the three archangels, Saint Michael the archangel, who's mentioned in the book of Daniel, chapter ten, the book of Daniel uh, passages from the book of Daniel correlate very strongly with uh, what we find in the book of Revelation or the other way around. You'll see a lot of patterns there in, in, the, uh, in the revelations to Daniel and in the, uh, to, to St. John in the book of Revelation and Jude chapter 9. So St. Michael is mentioned uh, in three places there, Revelation 12, Daniel 10 and Jude 9. No, that's not chapter 9. Did I say chapter 9? That would be only 9, verse 9. Because Jude, I think, is only one chapter. And, and his name is a synthesis, so Michael, we saw, of the essential attitude of the good spirits. Mikael means who is like God. And, uh, and so, and the second is Gabriel, a figure bound especially to the mystery of the incarnation of the Son of God, as we've seen. In, especially in the uh, the incarnation. Did you know that there is a pub in England called the Salutation, mm-hmm. and it's got uh, two medieval gentlemen in top hats mm-hmm. greeting each other? Well, that's the that's the modernist version of the Salutation. It actually <coughs> dates back before that only that uh, that painting, which is only three hundred years old. Uh, it was actually 
in honor of the angelic salutation. And in French, the the very term for the Hail Mary is the the angelic salutation. The Hail Mary. That's how the angel greeted Our Lady. The angelic salutation. The Archangel Gabriel. His name means my power is God or the power of God. As if to say that at the culmination of creation, the incarnation is the supreme sign of the omnipotent Father. So we read in, in at the Annunciation itself. We have the power of the Most High uh, and that uh, will oversh- overshadow you. We have the Father and the Son, of course, in the Incarnation, the Holy Spirit, all all mentioned it, uh, with, uh, in the words of Saint of, uh, of Gabriel. And, and the third archangel is Raphael, which means God heals. Um, we know him through the story of Tobias in the Old Testament. And, uh, uh, and for what that says, because as you know, Tobias was, uh, was a blind man and he, he was old and his, uh, his son got sent off to collect some money that was, was owed to him from across the other side of the country. And, and uh, he, got in, he was entrusted to, a, to a, a good man along the way. And this good man ended up uh, finding, finding a marriage partner for him, uh, a woman who'd had uh, a lot of, um, had had seven, seven husbands, all of whom had died. Uh, and she was, um, and he, he, so he found this, uh, found a wife for, so Raphael was patron saint of travellers, patron saint of finding good spouses as well. And uh, uh, and maybe that will come when you travel. I don't know, not necessarily. But uh, the Saint uh, Raphael did this, and at the end, Tobias, um, the father, wanted to repay, and he also healed healed the uh, uh, the blindness of Tobias. And uh, at the end, and uh, and so the older the older Tobias wanted to repay this traveller who had been so good to his son and looked after him. And, um, and Raphael says, look, it's good to keep the secrets of God, but sometimes it's, sometimes we need to manifest it for the, to show his glory. And so, I'm not a man, don't pay me. I don't need your money. <laughs> I'm, I'm Raphael, the angel. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So each one of these figures reflects in a particular way the truth contained um, uh, about in the beginning of the letter to the Hebrews. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to serve for the sake of those who are to possess salvation? Michael defends the cause of the one God against the dragon's presumption, that ancient serpent. Gabriel announces the good news to Mary. He's the messenger of the incarnation. He knocks on Mary's door. And repeatedly, God knocks on the human heart. And then Raphael, uh, the healer, who heals the love of Tobias and Sarah, crushes the demons, and purifies them in their love. Now, uh, I was just going to mention. Um, I was, you know, I know we've given this, said this talk is on angels and demons, but do we especially want to mention the demons now, or oh, yeah. oh, we do? Okay. Right. Well, I'll say something then about the about the, the devil. My favourite story about the devil is that uh, it's when Saint John Vianney. Many of you have heard this before, but uh, 
St. John Vianney was um, hearing confession, uh, hearing confession of a seminarian, I think it was, or, uh, in, in the presbytery, in, the, in his house, not, not in the confessional in the church. St. John Vianney was sitting down, the penitent was kneeling down, and the house started to, to rock, yeah, started to shake. And, uh, and of course the penitent did what you and I would have done, got up ready to head for the hills and St. John Vianney just pushed him back down again uh, back onto his knees he said don't worry it's only the devil yeah see the devil has only got power he's like uh, St. Augustine said he's like a a dog on a chain he's only going to to bite you if you go near him it'll be your own fault if you uh if you do it. In terms, I mean, do not fear those who kill the body, but fear rather him who can kill body and soul in hell. That's what we need to fear, which is, of course, the fear of sin. And um, and and so, uh, uh, so although the, the, the devils themselves are very, very powerful, uh, the angels are more powerful. And there was a, um, a nun, Father Gary Gulagrand speaks about this, there was a nun in, um, she was a very, a very small nun who was, um, uh, she was known as the Little Arab, I think, and she was, um, am I allowed to say that? Yeah, anyway, that's what she was known as, and she, she was a very, very holy, holy nun, and the, doc, and the, um, uh, the devil, that started tempting her and she was resisting all of the temptations through the grace of God and um, you know, whether she's permitted by a spiritual director she actually addressed the devil she said well don't forget a single one of these temptations okay don't forget a single one don't miss out on any right you better do your job I suppose but just remember this you are so powerful, you're a roaring lion. I'm just a little ant. She said, if the, if the lion should overcome the ant, well, everybody, everyone said, well, so what? That's no great victory for the lion. It's only it's a great lion anyway. But if the ant should overcome the lion, and the ant will overcome the lion because the ant is fortified by the grace of God. Think of the humiliation for the lion. <laughs> now don't try that at home, but uh, if you... There was um, uh, a, another one, I just don't recall uh, the name of this saint, but he was... Um, uh, he was... A, in a, in a cold, dark cell, studying, praying, in his monastery, a monastic cell. And all of a sudden, the room lit up, and the man walked in, and it was all bright and warm, and the monk turned around and said, Sir, who are you? And uh, this apparition said, uh, I'm I'm Jesus. I've come for the second coming and I've come to appear to you first because I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased with you. 
and the site said, Sir, show me your hands. Sir, where are the holes? And uh, then the room went dark, the man disappeared and the room went dark again. And uh, yeah, so, and, and there was the, the other, uh, the third story of a, another, another monk and the devil could not tempt him no matter what he did because this monk was so humble. Because it's the humility is the one thing the devil can't uh, he'll tempt you to anything, but he won't tempt you to humility. <laughs> See, he'll tempt you to impurity because even though he finds that quite repulsive, because that's a thing of the body, and he hates the body, and and uh, but he'll he'll tempt you to that, but but he will, he won't tempt you to true humility, false humility, sure, but not the true humility, but. Uh, you know, the devil could not get this. There was this uh, this monk who was so humble, and uh, he just did not know how to get him. So, so he appeared as Christ. The devil appeared as Christ crucified to Padre Pio, by the way. Anyway, he appeared to to as Christ to this monk, walked in the room and said, um, "I'm I'm here to thank you." I congratulate you on your profound humility because it, it's so pleasing to me. And the, uh, the monk was all confused. He said, I think you've got the wrong cell. I think it's the one next door. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so the devil's like a dog on a chain. So we, um, uh, and God will never allow us to be tempted beyond our strength. And so, uh, uh, and the, the grace of God is infinitely more powerful than the malice of the devil. Actually, there's um, talk about diabolical manifestations. So Kermit Das had part of his presbytery burnt, didn't he? His bed. Yeah, his bed. His bed was burnt while he was in the, uh, hearing confessions, and he said um, he used to call. Uh, the devil used to speak of him as his old mate, as uh, uh, Le, Le Crapin. Does that mean the rat? Uh, old Scratch or...? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think Scratch or something like that. No, G-R-E, that would be... Uh, yeah, Crapin. Anyway, uh, yeah, he said that um, he can't he can't get the bird, the, the, the devil can't get the bird so he burns down the cage. Yeah. <coughs> and, the, and the fire actually stopped right in line once it got to the image of uh, Saint Philomena. And the other thing was that the devil would do great, um, uh, would cause great consternation before, <coughs> before a big sinner was about to turn up. And and the curé after the the devil would do this. He's telling me like he's like a welcome. He's putting out the welcome mat to say you know <laughs> we've got the big sinner coming. There'd be terrible. Wait a minute. There'd be this terrible um, consternation and the house shaking and so on. And uh, and then he would call out somebody from the parish. He said, "Look, go into the square. You'll find a lady in the square wearing purple and black cardigan or something. Bring it to me." You know? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, and, of course they didn't know what um, you know what what sins that great sinner had. Had uh, had committed, but um, uh, but that was the way that uh, 
<coughs> yeah, the Kira the, the news. So, <coughs> so sometimes when you see that there are things going terribly, terribly wrong, and all sorts of mess and obstacles, and especially when you're organising something very good, and everything is just falling apart, and you've run out of money, and all all the rest of it, and you say, well, that's a good sign. Yeah. Well, just two, two other things to mention, which is the, uh, to do with place names. One is, you know, the La Ciudad de Los Angeles. That's the city of the angels, Los Angeles. Uh-huh. That's where the, the term Los Angeles comes from, LA, is the angels. And, um, uh, and if you play Monopoly, there's the Angel Islington, which we in Australia probably call Islington, but I heard an English woman, a very cultured woman, call it the Angel Islington mm-hmm. recently. Uh, that's actually named after the Guardian, after uh, the Angel Gabriel. And, uh, and that the other point I wanted to make about placements was England, that uh, after St. Gregory the Great saw English children being sold as slaves in Rome. This was in uh, the early 600s. And so he sent 40 monks, including St. Augustine, not the famous Augustine that we all know about, Augustine of Hippo, but St. Augustine of Canterbury, from his own monastery, so that he could make the uh, Angles, that's the Anglo-Saxons, make the Angles angels. And so, yeah, the term England, it's a reminder, even though it's actually after Anglo-Saxon, is a reminder of, uh, of the link with, uh, with the angels. You have been listening to a Lumen Verum Apologetics Lecture by Anthony English. For more Lumen Verum Apologetics Lectures, visit cradio.org.au.